Hey everyone, it's Amanda. If you've caught any of our previous episodes, you've heard us mention the Colorado River and how it deserves its own dedicated episode. Well, this episode is just that, an episode dedicated to the Colorado River. Today we're joined by Bill Hazenkamp, manager of Colorado River Resources for the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. In his role, Bill develops and manages water supply programs to augment Metropolitan's Colorado River supplies. In this episode, Bill sits down with us to discuss the complexity of the Colorado River, the important role it plays not just in Southern California, but in other states and Mexico, and why today's Colorado River is not the river of the past. Thanks for joining. Let's jump in. So, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if you could, can you kind of provide us some an background on you, uh, how how you got to where you are now, and and what your current job is, and what you do in that role? Yeah, I've been uh, managing Metropolitan's Colorado River supplies for the last twenty years. I think Metropolitan's most important asset that we have isn't uh, the aqueduct or Diamond Valley Lake, but the water right permit on the Colorado River, it's priceless. You couldn't buy one today with all of the money in the world. And it's been a privilege to manage that priceless asset for Metropolitan for the last 20 years. You talk about what a priceless asset the um, access to the Colorado River is, but it's also really foundational to Metropolitan. Uh, Metropolitan was formed because of access to the Colorado River. Yeah, absolutely. It was that we were formed in 1928 with one mission, and that was to build the Colorado River Aqueduct and bring Colorado River supplies to the region here in Southern California. It was originally 13 cities that got water from the Colorado River, and over time we expanded to 26 member agencies, water from Northern California and the State Water Project, and then partnering with our member agencies to develop local supplies. But really it was the Colorado River Aqueduct, which was the basis for Metropolitan being formed in the first place. So if we go kind of even back before 1928 and um, we look at the West as it was really becoming or moving towards what it's become today, how was the Colorado River historically used? Yeah, a hundred years ago, the seven states came to together and did something monumental, right? In Santa Fe, New Mexico, in November of 1922, they divided the Colorado River. It was an international, it is an international river. They divided the United States section of it into uh, uh, equitably among seven states, setting aside the priority system, the doctrine of first in time, first in right, to give everyone equal access to the river going forward. Once that agreement was in place, that allowed six years later, Congress to pass the Boulder Canyon Project Act, which paved the way for construction of Hoover Dam, the All-American Canal, and let the uh, Southwest grow into the economic powerhouse and agricultural powerhouse that it is today. I, I think it's really important to what you just talked about, economic and agriculture. The Southwest is a desert. <laughs> um, and so imported water like this is crucial to the different economics that are involved in this area. Yes, most of the water in the Colorado stays within the basin is not imported. For us, we are outside the region. So we do export it from the Colorado basin. But 
There are 40 million people that rely on water from the Colorado River and millions of acre feet of productive agriculture. Colorado flows through the hottest and driest place in North America and one of the hottest and driest places in the United States, in the world, rather. And so the water is so important uh, to grow crops that you can grow year round in the Imperial Valley and Yuma Valley, uh, as well as providing water to the urban the major urban centers of seven states in the United States and two states in Mexico. So what are those states here in the U.S.? Yeah, the upper basin states are Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico. Lower basin states are Arizona, California, and Nevada. And if you look at the major urban areas in each of those states, whether it's Denver, Salt Lake City, Albuquerque, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Cheyenne, or Southern California all get water from the Colorado River. That's a that's a lot of water to share. It's a lot of water, a lot of people, and even in Mexico, there's an aqueduct to Tijuana as well. So it's uh, it, it truly is an international river that um, connects the two countries. And then this is also the river that has formed the Grand Canyon. It it has. Uh, dozens of national parks within its uh, region, um, national monuments, uh, more than a dozen Native American tribes all share in this region. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of my favorite areas. I love places like Arches National Park and Rocky Mountain National Park, the Grand Canyon, as you said, uh, so many unique places in, in the river. I'm, it was fortunate for me because growing up, the Colorado River was my playground skiing at Vail, Colorado, or mountain biking at Moab. And, and now my playground for all these years has been my work, my, my work area. But I love the basin. It's so unique compared to other places in the United States. There's nothing else like it. You blended those two very well. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been super fortunate. No complaints here. So when you think about the river, it really is, a, you know, a very large water project because it's a mix of a mix of things that kind of bring water to these areas. There's dams, reservoirs. Can can you touch on some of those um, high, like most common that people would hear about or that we've heard about in the news? Yeah, I mean, the Colorado River, for better or worse, is the most dammed reservoir in the United States. It's got Lake Mead, which is the largest reservoir, Lake Powell, which is the second largest reservoir. Total storage is 60 million acre feet on the Colorado. And the average flow has been closer to 12 to 13 million acre feet. So that's almost five times the annual storage, uh, annual flow of the river was available in storage. And we started this century 20 some odd years ago with those storage reservoirs essentially full, which has made the Colorado drought proof during many of the droughts here that impacted uh, us in Southern California. The 1977 drought, which was a very severe drought in California, the 87 through 92 drought, those impacted areas that rely on water from the Sacramento and, and here locally. But the Colorado, because of its large storage, was able to still provide a full supply of water to California, regardless of the droughts up until this point. So I, I want to touch on that because you came to our board in August and you gave a really 
in my opinion, amazing presentation. Um, and it was like, I've listened to it several times leading up to our conversation because I was like, I want to make sure that I cover everything. And even since August, things have changed, but I want to kind of go back even earlier, much earlier than that, um, to the Colorado River Aqueduct and the formation of Metropolitan. You talked about it a little bit earlier, but can you can you touch on what the aqueduct is, the components of it, and how it brings water into Metropolitan Service Area? In order to bring water from the Colorado River, we first needed um, to, to tame the mighty Colorado River. So in the 1930s, the Bureau of Reclamation built Hoover Dam and Lake Mead to control the wild fluctuations and flow of the river. But we still needed a place to pump water from a lake that was farther downstream that wasn't subject to changes in flow. So while, while the Bureau of Reclamation was building Lake Mead, Metropolitan was building Lake Havasu, which acted as a four bay for our aqueduct. And our aqueduct then now is on the shores of Lake Havasu. If you ever go to Lake Havasu City, you can look across the reservoir and see our pumps on the other side. We pump it up through five pumping plants, several thousand feet up across the desert. And then it flows generally next to the I-10 freeway, goes underneath a tunnel, the San Jacinto Tunnel, 13 mile long tunnel from about Cabazon to near the town of San Jacinto. And then once it comes into the San Jacinto Valley, it spreads across, goes all the way down to San Diego or water can be delivered as far west of Santa Monica. So it spreads out across our service area, but it's uh, a 242 mile journey from Lake Havasu across a hot and dry desert during an aqueduct that was built during the Great Recession to bring water here to our, our Southern California region. So as a caveat, EMWD likes to often say that we're kind of, our service area is the terminus points for these great water projects, the state water project, but also, uh, as you mentioned, the San Jacinto tunnel through the, through the mountain, the tunnel through the San Jacinto mountains. Um, we're, you know, very, we got our first deliveries from the CRA in nine, in 1955-ish, I believe. And, and actually it was the CRA, and a partnership with Metropolitan that created EMWD, um, and so we're we're very lucky to have access to that to that water and be so close to the infrastructure that brings it there. Um, as we kind of look today, like I, I mentioned, you you came and spoke with our board in August of this year of 2022, and there was a lot happening on the Colorado and discussions on the Colorado, both between those states that pull from it, the federal government. Um, but it's because of the dry conditions that we're seeing out there and how do we, what do we do when the Colorado dries up like this? And so what is happening today that's different than any other point in the river's history? Yeah, one of the most unique things about the Colorado River and I, and I alluded to it earlier, 100 years ago is the Colorado River Compact. For 100 years, there was never a shortage to the state of California from the Colorado River. Year in, year out, through every drought we've had, up until this point, we've received our full allocation from the river, which has buffeted our region from some of those really severe droughts that we've had 
uh, in Northern California. But the realization came that after they divided up the river in 1922, that that was following a relatively wet period. And they divided up more water on the river than it turns out the river is capable of providing. And in recent years, that imbalance has grown as climate change and warmer temperatures have reduced the flow of the Colorado River. Uh, one of the reasons why, a big reason why there's less flow is even if you get a decent snowpack, if the snowpack melts a month early like it has been, then thousands of square miles of plants come out and start soaking up that water and preventing it from running down into the reservoirs. So as it gets warmer and the snow melts earlier, more of that snow is, is captured and used upstream and less comes downstream. So we've been seeing the reservoirs drop in particularly in the last three or four years. Lake Mead is at its lowest level ever. Lake Powell upstream is also at its lowest level ever. There are about 25% full. And as a result of this overallocation and a downward trend, in the summer, the Bureau of Reclamation asked for two to, million, two to four million acre feet of cuts throughout the basin uh, in 20, starting in 2023. Those cuts would be needed if we continue to have dry conditions on the basin. Um, so the states got together. You know, there, there is a priority system on the Colorado River, even though in 1922, the concept was equitable shares that each state gets an equal access to the river. Along the way, there was a dispute with Arizona and California that led to Supreme Court decisions. And ultimately, California ended up with a higher priority than the state of Arizona when it comes to shortages. This year, 2022, is the first ever shortage declaration on the Colorado River, and Arizona and Nevada both had to cut back their use this year uh, in the shortage. But that shortage wasn't enough to stop this significant drop. I mean, just in 2022, Lake Mead dropped 75 feet. Huge, huge wow. drop. Uh, they had to, during the spring, they had to move the marina every week because... Uh, the boat launch facility had to keep going down as the reservoir dropped so quickly. And and we saw like those headlines, right, where they were finding ghost ships and bodies <laughs> um, yes. as these levels kind of, to your point, moved and dropped. Yeah, it stabilized over the last few months, but that's only because that's typical this time of year. We are expecting next spring another significant drop. So there'll be more headlines about new things that they're going to find that Technically, it's illegal to treasure hunt in, in Lake Mead with uh, metal detectors because it is a national recreation area, but that still doesn't stop people from going out there. And, yeah, somebody looking for things. the ring grandma lost on the jet ski era <laughs> exactly. 50 years ago. So uh, since since that ask, what, what has happened? Since the Bureau asked, or the Bureau of Reclamation asked for those cuts. First of all, can you put those cuts in perspective as to users? How many, if you were to cut back that much water, um, I think there's a certain, like, we could equate that to how many cities are currently using that water? Yeah, well, I mean, that that's that's a huge, uh, two to four million acre feet of cuts is huge. If you consider the river has been about 12 to 13 million acre feet of flow, um, 
25% cutback yeah. or, or more, depending on uh, 25 to 30% cutback in use. So the states tried to come up with a plan and um, to meet that deadline in August, and we really couldn't come up. That was a big ask to come up with something that quickly. Um, so I, w- what happened since then is that the federal government kind of retooled their thought process. The first thing they did was pass the Inflation Reduction Act, which is $4 billion for drought relief in the West. And out of the $4 billion, they've said the vast majority will be spent on the Colorado River Basin. And there's Mm. different buckets uh, that the money would be spent on. There is short-term fallowing type projects, but they said the vast majority will be spent on more long-term sustainable projects. Um, so what they've done then is said in the short run, are there projects that we can work with the users to help get close to this two to 4 million acre foot goal? So, uh, in November, uh, November 21st, uh, so, so proposals for the next three to four years, uh, were being accepted and many water users on the river, they're still confidential. But we know many water users, including Metropolitan, submitted proposals for federal funding. They had a pre-negotiated price for shorter term projects. They would pay about 330 an acre foot and for longer term up to 400. But they also had a provision for special uh, considerations for an agency that might need a different funding schedule. They would at least consider it. Really quickly, when we talk about sustainability projects that you mentioned that they would be looking towards or those long-term projects, that's kind of in the realm of water use efficiency, right? So it would be like, how do we convert to drip, you know, converting things to more water use efficient tools, maybe investing in recycled water systems that don't exist. Would that be the kind of sustainability you think that people are thinking about? Well, yeah, I think one is we can look at the past. So Imperial Irrigation District has been transferring water to both Metropolitan and San Diego County Water Authority. And the concept of that transfer is they could grow the same amount of crops using less water. So how do they do that? Well, one is they've we've paid them to line canals, the Mm -hmm. All-American and Coachella canals. Huge projects have been lined up. uh, put in drip irrigation and sprinklers, uh, reservoirs to kind of help manage some of the local flows. So the concept is to tighten up the system so they can grow the same amount of crops with less water. So that's an example of something in the agricultural air ent- area that could that could be ex- expanded. For us here in urban Southern California, things like removal of non-functional turf or replacement of non-functional turf Water recycling, absolutely. Metropolitan is pursuing the largest water recycling project in the nation with Pure Water Southern California. Eastern itself does a great job. They they do a good job of, of recycling almost all of their water every uh, every year. So those are the types of projects that deliver sustainability going forward. Absolutely. Got it. Thank you. So those submissions, though, as to your point that the states have all kind of said, okay, we're gonna submit these long-term and short-term projects. Those are still confidential. We, we don't know what those look like yet. Correct. Uh, we did submit 
two proposals with our partners on both our following program in the Palo Verde Irrigation District. We have some unused capacity in that program because we're not we, we're not following land for our own needs. So we're letting the federal government step into that program we developed and having that water stay in Lake Mead instead of flowing through the Colorado River Aqueduct. Similar with a barred, our, our barred water district, we have a seasonal following program with them, and that's also been put in those those proposals. So we anticipate in the next couple months that those proposals will be approved and we can start implementing them rather quickly. Phase two is the longer term. Uh, those proposals have not been submitted yet. That's still something that the federal government is working with the states to figure out what's the best process for that longer term sustainability. So say we we start implementing these. Um, the hope is that if you turn more towards a local supply or these sustainability projects that we're not pulling as much off the Colorado to mitigate what we're seeing with climate change and so that we aren't continuing to see levels drop in Lake Mead. How long do you think, how quickly do you think that results from some of these projects would be seen? Well, we've run out of time. We've run out of time. And so we are on the fast track with all of them. Um, If we have another dry year on the Colorado, Essentially, we're going to use up most of the available storage we have left. So we don't know what this winter is going to hold, but we are ramping forward with these programs as quickly as possible. What California has chosen as a target is to reduce its use by about 10% between now and 2026. That's about 400, 450,000 acre feet a year um, to help slow the decline. Other states are putting in similar proposals. Um, But we know that if it's really dry, those volumes are not going to be enough. And what the federal government is also doing, while they provided money through the Inflation Reduction Act for this voluntary conservation, the carrot, they're working on the stick at the same time. And the stick is they are starting a supplemental EIS to the existing shortage rules on the Colorado River. So it's an environmental impact statement to consider alternatives for a new regime on the Colorado River. In 2007, they approved a 20-year agreement that includes reservoir operations and shortage criteria uh, in the lower basin. The shortages only apply to Arizona and Nevada and and the country of Mexico. It's clear that the shortages that were agreed to are not enough. So what the federal government is starting a process that by next summer, they will have new shortages, new shortage criteria that would kick in if Lake Mead continues to drop and if our voluntary actions aren't enough. We don't know how, how it's going to end up, but we know that we're at risk, uh, Metropolitan and California is at risk from pretty significant cuts in 2024 if we don't respond and step up and we hopefully don't get a really dry year. I know it's snowing in Colorado right now. Maybe there's some hope, um, 
but there's definitely uncertainty. We've lost our buffer in Lake Mead, maybe one year, maybe two years of before we'd have to make these drastic changes. So we are going all in starting in 2023 as much as we can. Got it. You, when you came to our board in August, you mentioned that this is a much different river than any we've seen before. Do you think that we ever get the river back to what it was 10, 20, 30 years? Um, or is this kind of the new normal? Yeah, as, as we have the 100th anniversary of the compact, there's a lot of debate about what the future is going to be. Uh, some scientists are saying climate change is only going to dramatically make things significantly worse, and we have to plan for a much drier future than we've even been experiencing over the last 20 years. But there's a lot of debate and uncertainty. Um, that what's difficult for me personally on the river right now is the river has a history of collaboration, seven states working together. Ag and urban entities working together on solutions, tribes and uh, NGO conservation groups have been working collaboratively together, especially over the last 10 years to address uh, and, and to slow the decline in the reservoirs. I mean, even though the reservoirs are at the lowest level ever, I think it's a, a testament that we've been able to avoid a shortage this long because we've worked together. And it seems now that states and entities are kind of falling back to more isolated positions. And hopefully we can get back to working collaboratively uh, so that as, as a basin and as a, it's gonna take all of us to sacrifice something so that no one has to sacrifice something too big. Well, Metropolitan is gonna be declaring considering declaring an emergency water supply alert at its December board meeting throughout our entire region to recognize the drought conditions affecting both the state water project and the Colorado River. And if we have a dry year this winter, we will be recommending that our board go to a allocation, which means mandatory conservation in Southern California uh, until conditions on one or both of our watershed improves. Is this the um, first time the Metropolitan Board has ever considered something like this? No, um, we've had some some droughts here. This will be the third time in this millennium that we've taken such an action. We're seeing increasing frequency of drought and severities of drought. And it's a tool in our tool chest, toolkit to to address it. And so, uh, so we are going to be asking everyone to conserve more water and to look at ways of, uh, of making our water supply stretch further. So if we can make these smaller changes now, we can avoid some of the more drastic reductions that could be necessary if, if uh, there are reservoirs drop down to to Deadpool, essentially. I mean, when, when you look at the Colorado River, it's not just about water. It's a huge power uh, asset, provides green renewable energy. I mean, with all of those uh, dams and reservoirs, it does provide a huge, uh, huge power, uh, source of power for millions of people. And for us in Metropolitan, we get enough power to move 
700,000 acre feet of water all the way from Lake Havasu to our, our region without with, with clean energy. And if uh, the risk is that Lake Powell and, and maybe down the road, Lake Mead fall below power pool, that's a huge source of energy that we'd have to go out and get somewhere else, which has its own in, impacts. That's a, that's a really great point. Because we do talk, we're, we obviously focus on dry conditions in terms of water supply, but Colorado is much more than just a water supply. It, it has multiple functions, you know, recreation aside, water, water service aside, it's providing energy and power, but not just that, but clean energy and clean power to millions of people. Yeah, clean energy, clean power. And you did touch on recreation. Recreation is huge, right? Rafting down the Grand Canyon is one of the highlights of many people's lives, right? It's such a unique opportunity, yet the flows in the Grand Canyon now are going to be down at really low levels, and that could impact some of the native fish and other types of of things that are going on. And it's uh, so we need to protect the river, not just for water and power supplies, but also the endangered species that rely on it. Um, you know, it, it never reaches the ocean in, in Mexico. Uh, there was an effort in 2014 to uh, find water for a pulse flow to temporarily connect the ocean. And it would be great if we could do that sustainably, but it's difficult to provide water from the for the environment in a shrinking river. Yeah. But we need creative thoughts. We need to say this isn't just about water and power. It is about recreation. It is about tribes and it is about the environment. The future of the Colorado, um, a lot of it will be decided in the next few years. I think you'll hear about as we go through this, this um, new rulemaking for shortages over the next six months. That's a relatively short-term deal, but over the next three years, the states will be looking at a long-term plan for the river, which is going to affect all of us, all 40 million people and the millions of acre feet of ag that rely on the Colorado River. So it's a, it's a time to watch what's going on and, uh, and then we have to adapt and realize how precious our water supply is as, as, it's, uh, as things get tighter in the American West and dryer. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me while you're on vacation too. I appreciate it. You are a wealth of information. <laughs> and I think as things continue to evolve, we'd like to have you back for, for future discussions and kind of what happens next if uh, if things continue to be dry. But we'll hope for snow in Colorado. We'll hope for, <laughs> for snow all over the West so that we kind of are able to have a bit of a buffer again. Yeah, absolutely. And technically, I'm not on vacation. I'm just working in Las Vegas. Eh, we'll call it vacation. <laughs> hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Drop, a podcast by Eastern Municipal Water District. Once again, a big thank you to Bill Hazenkamp with Metropolitan Water District of Southern California for sitting down and discussing the Colorado River, its past, its present, and its future. For more information, you can find us online at www.emwd.org or on social media at Eastern Muni. Until next week.